Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs. Today we're going to be taking a look at John chapter 7 through 10 in uh, episode 18 today with the theme being I am the good shepherd. I, I love this particular theme and I, I love thinking of and looking at Christ as a shepherd for so many good reasons, many of which we'll take a look at today as we look at some of the verses in John where he addresses himself as the good shepherd. Even Christ, I think, likes that term uh, himself personally. Now let's just jump right in it today. We got three uh, key principles to kind of share with you. First of all, let me give you the background of these particular chapters. Um, although Jesus Christ came to bring peace and goodwill toward men, there was a division among the people because of him. People who witnessed the same events came to very different conclusions about who Jesus was. Isn't that so interesting too to just kind of consider? These people all saw the same things. Some saw him absolutely as the Son of God. Others saw him as the devil. (laughs) Amazing how we can all arrive at different conclusions based on our perception of reality and probably a lot of the life experiences that we've had. But that was what was happening at the time. Some, as it says, concluded he was a good man, while others said he deceiveth the people. When he healed a blind man on the Sabbath, some insisted, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. While others asked, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? Yet despite all the confusion, those who search for truth recognize the power in his words. For never man spake like this man. That's another wonderful point. Yes, there may have been some confusion in his miracles, but when you listen to his teachings with your heart, those that really heard what he was saying could not help but arrive at that conclusion. When the Jews asked Jesus to tell us plainly whether he was the Christ, he revealed a principle that can help us distinguish truth from error, in which he said, My sheep hear my voice. He said, I know them, and they follow me. And we're going to get into that a little bit today in one of the the key principles. But first of all, I want to begin by looking at John chapter 8. Verses 1 through 11. The first key principle I want to look at today deals with the woman that was taken in adultery. And this is just such a wonderful story for so many different reasons. But I think first and foremost is that it should give all of us hope that we can change, that we can be forgiven, that God hasn't written us off despite some of the sometimes terrible things that we do and some of the terrible choices that we make. Here is a woman that was caught in adultery. According to the the law of the Old Testament, one of the worst things that could be done, in fact, it was common practice to stone those that were caught in this particular act because of its seriousness and, and how badly it was seen and viewed. But yet how Christ treated her, how he spoke to her, what he taught her should give each and every one of us hope, even when we make mistakes. This woman was caught and brought to Christ really in an effort to entrap him. They knew what the law stated, but yet he had also been so kind and and taught so much on mercy that they thought by bringing her to him in this particular way, 
that he would be stuck, not knowing what to do. That if he chose to follow the law, then in Stoner, he would be seen as, as being terribly unforgiving. But if he forgave her, he would also be going against the law. It, to them, seemed like a winless situation that, that Christ would be in, that they would put him in. But his answer to them was absolutely marvelous and caused each and every one to walk away with their head lowered for what they had done and what they were about to do. His answer to them when asked if they should stone this woman because she was caught in adultery in such a terrible act, he said this in John chapter 8, verse 7. He said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Oh, how those words must have just pricked their hearts. And it's rather clear that they did because how each and every single one of them then dropped their stones and walked away. What a marvelous lesson he taught them and us about recognizing our own weaknesses, our own mistakes, and really trying not to pile on others for theirs or to throw rocks at others when they make mistakes and forget the mistakes that we have made ourselves. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Well, that was none of them, and it's none of us. So let's use this story to be more forgiving, more understanding, and more patient with others. Let's not cast stones at those, and maybe instead try to remember our own mistakes and our own sins first. Afterwards, once this woman realized that there was no one left that was accusing her or that was going to throw rocks at her, Christ approaches her and says, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? To which she answers in verse 11, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I remember in teaching this to young people that I, I often focused on the word condemn. Condemn references kind of a final state, like a final judgment. It's clear that he didn't forgive her. She still had work to do to go repent and to change, but he wasn't condemning her, meaning that there was still time for her to change and to repent. He wasn't placing a final judgment on her. And yet we are so quick to do that to others. We label them as this or that, almost in a final condemning judgment, that they are dumb or that they are mean or they're a liar or they're a cheater or that whatever it is that we throw out there in a lot of ways is a condemnation. And truth be told, if we are to truly follow Christ, we must, like him, avoid condemning people. We must still allow them, regardless of what they've done, space and grace to change. The day will come where all will stand before God and be potentially condemned for the things that they have done that they have not repented of. But that's not today, and it's not our place to condemn. Now, one of the other thoughts I just want to share with you about this marvelous story is in an article I came across that was in a, a local newspaper here in Utah that was written by Holly Richardson. I was introduced to a man named Brian Stevenson, who is a lawyer that has dedicated his life to defend those he believed to be accused unfairly, to be what he refers to as a stone catcher. And I thought this was just such a, a neat way of thinking about this story. While there certainly are lots of people out there that are so quick to pick up rocks and throw them, this individual saw an opportunity to stand between those that are throwing rocks and those that are their target and to be a stone catcher instead of a stone thrower. And really, in effect, take this story one step further because, unfortunately, not everyone will always drop their rocks. We are very prone to throw rocks at each other. 
But one of the most Christ-like things that we could do is if we can't get others to drop their stones is to catch them and keep them from causing injury in others. Brian Stevenson tells us that about what it looks like in today's world. At the end of, of his book that he wrote called Just Mercy, he describes meeting an older woman in the courtroom whose grandson had been murdered some years before. She kept coming to the courtroom to provide solace for grieving families. Sometimes the families of the, of the victims and sometimes the families of the perpetrators. It's a lot of pain, she said. I decided that I was supposed to be here to catch some of the stones people cast at each other. In her article, Holly then asked the question, Can we insert ourselves on behalf of those with feeble knees and hands that hang down? Can we speak up for those that are caught in the very act? Can we be stone catchers? Although it's hard. Being a stone catcher makes people angry. It makes you target, uh, target yourself. It's exhausting. It's painful. It can leave you feeling bloodied and beat up. It's emotional work, but it's needed now more than ever. And I think it's just such a really great concept. We can all be stone catchers in our own way. We can shield people from the pain, from the fear, from the anxiety, from the hurt that sometimes others try to uh, cause to come upon them. But I also think it's important to recognize that before we can catch or stop the stones from being thrown by others, we also first have to stop ourselves from throwing our own stones at others. Elder, Elder Marvin J. Ashton, leader of my faith, um, gave a wonderful talk many years ago, simply titled, The Tongue Can Be a Sharp Sword. And in his talk, he points out what the answer is to really not throwing rocks, insults, or anything that can be hurtful to another, and that is to instead develop charity which is the pure love of God. So young people, that's one of the things I, I just want to point out to you. I know you have opportunities and you will see them each and every day as you walk up and down the halls of whatever schools you're a part of. You'll hear things being said. You'll see things being done that can be incredibly hurtful to others. My challenge to you is to one, not take part in that. And two, to be a stone catcher. That if you have the opportunity to protect someone from that or to, to help someone to heal from that or to help the blow be not quite so hard and so hurtful, that you'll do it. Even if it's hard and sometimes puts you in the crosshairs, we need to stand up for each other and stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves or sometimes that have made some mistakes, done some things that are wrong or just are seen as being different from others. This is a wonderful principle that I know each and every one of us can apply in very powerful ways in our lives as it relates to those that we are around. Now, principle number two, I want to go to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And just, I think this is an incredible principle as well that we don't want to miss in these particular chapters. But there was an individual who had been born blind, and I think had been blind now for how close to 40 years, which I can't even imagine. But his disciples came up to him regarding, and it's in verse 1, it says, Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I'd like to stop there because, first of all, it really is sometimes human nature that when we see people that are suffering, whether it's physically or financially or or some kind of, of mentally, or in family relationships, or whatever aspect of life, that it, we are so quick to go to, well, what did they do to deserve this? <laughs> what did they do to bring this on themselves? 
Now, we even do that to ourselves, right? When we go through some of these things, what did I do to deserve this? Why is God punishing me in this way? To which Jesus answered a very important answer in verse 3 when he says, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Sometimes things just happen because they happen. Sometimes that's just a part of living in a fallen world. But when they're beyond our control, when these kinds of things take place, and it's not due to poor choices or things that that we've done, just a part of living, then I think what we can take from this verse is, as the Savior said, neither did this man sin or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Sometimes these challenges have a way of working for our good in some way or some form, often that we can't see at the time. But I know if we can learn to trust God in our adversity, in our affliction, in our trials, especially when they're not created by ourselves, that they can do marvelous things in us. They can work wonders in us. And also we can't forget in many cases, they can work wonders in other people. This individual gave up 40 plus years of his life being blind. And I wonder if that wasn't so, so many others could learn to see. Does that make sense? If you kind of follow my thinking here, this is an individual that came to see Christ through his suffering, that came to have a very personal interaction with him, came to learn who he was firsthand through the miracle that happened. But how many more in reading about that miracle have had their own eyes open to who Christ is and to what it is that he was sent here to do? What a marvelous blessing his adversity brought to the lives of potentially thousands and maybe even millions that have read this story, studied it, and have gained a testimony of Christ and who he is for themselves. Sometimes our challenges, our struggles aren't just for ourselves, but sometimes they're meant to bless the lives of others. I'm reminded of this with Joseph of of Egypt, who did nothing wrong, yet was beaten and betrayed by his brothers, Uh, In trying to follow God, was then thrown into prison for being accused wrongly. Really spent a good part of his his youth, his upbringing, some of the best years of his life as both a slave and a prisoner. Yet, do you remember what his answer was when everything was worked out in the end? Because of those things that had happened to him, not only was he able to save his family from famine, but he was able to save all of Egypt. So much so that now in looking back on, at his suffering, the things that I'm sure he couldn't understand at the time, he was able to make the, this declaration when he tells his brothers and his family, so now it was not you that sent me hither. You didn't just do this to me. You didn't make this happen. You didn't send me here alone, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. There was a work that was going on in his life that he couldn't understand, a bigger picture that he couldn't see until much later on. Just he, I'm sure that verse would apply very well to him in his situation, that neither did this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be made and manifest in him. So young people, please understand when you go through hard things, if they are not due to your own poor choices, right? that maybe there's a purpose in them. And one of the best things that we can do is just hold on, keep believing, and have faith. I always like to ask myself or my students when we'd study the story of Joseph in Egypt, what do you think Joseph of Egypt 
would have written in a letter if he could send it back in time to himself as Joseph in the pit. What advice, what counsel, what uh, positive words would he have written or tried to, to get to him in those difficult moments and situations? What do you think the blind man that could now see would tell himself if he could go back in time to those very difficult days of begging and being blind and all of the challenges that came from being that and experiencing that in life? I wonder what we would tell ourselves after having passed through a particular challenge or trial, if we could go back in time and tell our, and see ourselves while we were in that particular struggle or, or trial. I don't know that we would always want to tell exactly how things would work out. I think we wouldn't want to rob ourselves of the opportunity to grow and to exercise faith. We would probably end up telling ourselves a lot of the same things that ironically God tells us. Have faith. Be believing. Don't give up. Just keep going. Just keep trying. Everything will work out in the end. That's one message that I hope you take away from this. Regardless of what you may be going through or experiencing, is to have faith and be believing and to trust that the works of God are being manifest in your life. There is purpose and there is a reason for things that are happening to you and in your life. Begin to try to develop the mindset that life isn't something that's happening to you, it's happening for you. Boy, if you can adopt that mentality earlier on in your life, you'll be able to weather the storms that you'll have to pass through so much better because you'll start looking at them, not just as things to set you back, but as things to actually help move you forward, to help you to learn and to help you to grow and to help you to become all that not you know that you could be, but all that God knows you could be. He has a very different understanding and picture of who it is that you're capable of becoming that is so much greater and so much better than what we often can even imagine for ourselves. I guess in a lot of ways we can really just summarize the principle in these particular verses as just simply trusting God, trust in His plan for you, trust that everything will be okay and that there is purpose in the things that you experience in life. Now in our last principle for the day, principle number three, I want to look at John chapter 10 verses 1 through 14 where Christ refers to himself as the good shepherd. I know it wasn't uncommon back then, and I don't think it even is today, to see a shepherd walking through Jerusalem or Egypt somewhere, and his sheep are following him. This was the common practice back then. Nowadays, you see sheepdogs and the, the ranchers and everybody are trying to drive the sheep to different places that they want to go. But back then, the shepherd always had a very personal and intimate relationship with the sheep. They, they came to know him. They loved him so much so that they would just follow him wherever he went. They knew his voice when he would call to them and they would respond accordingly. It's a beautiful symbol, symbolic relationship that these sheep have with the shepherd that the Savior is trying to teach we can have with him. That if we are to be his sheep, we must come to learn his voice because his sheep Follow him because they know his voice. In verse 9, he teaches another great principle about being the good shepherd in which he says that in him his sheep shall find pasture. They'll find the food that they need to survive, to sustain them in going through life. The Savior also referred to himself as the vine. And all of those of us that are connected to him can have life as well because it's in him and through that connection that we grow and we can be sustained in all that we need to do and to become. 
And then he mentions this comment in verse 10, which I just love. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Christ, without any question, has come to give us life, but not just any life, a life that is more abundant than it would be otherwise. And I know that that doesn't mean life is going to be easy. I'm the, I'll be the first to raise my hand that it often is not. But yet, one of the things I have to remind myself often is I have seen individuals throughout my life that have tried to live a life without Christ. Versus those that I've seen that have tried deeply to, to make him an integral part of their life. And I have noticed a very significant difference between the two. I have seen firsthand that those that have tried to make sure Christ was a central part of their life, that they have experienced not just a life, but a more abundant life, a life that has been more abundant in, in joy, in peace, in love, in healthy relationships, in success, and in faith. Again, it doesn't mean that life will go perfect all the time. But I often hear people reference uh, the way that somebody's living as, oh, they're living their best life. Well, (laughs) I've come to learn and to recognize for myself that if I am to live my best life, that my life will always be best when Christ is in it. And young people, I hope that you will never forget that and that you will strive to do all that you can to become familiar with the Savior's voice as you read his words, as you counsel with him in prayer, as you listen to the, his words found in living prophets and apostles, you will develop a relationship with him to where you can recognize for yourself his voice when he calls, and you will respond and follow him, and he will lead you to pasture and to more of an abundant life. C.S. Lewis once said that human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. I've been there. I've been on that side of history as well. I've tried multiple different ways to find happiness apart from Christ. And I'm telling you, you cannot find happiness apart from Christ because it's not there. Now, sure, there'll be some temporary solutions and temporary happinesses that will be found and discovered. But the the kind of happiness that is sustainable and that is most abundant will always be found in the Good Shepherd in Christ. So there you go. Three principles from this week's Come Follow Me. I hope they've been helpful to you and uh, give you some things to think about as you go through this week with a deeper resolve to follow the Good Shepherd and to become more like Him. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. And this has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And He invites us to all, come follow me. Boy, I never get tired of of quoting that quote. I just love it. And it is a reminder to me each and every week that that's what I want to do and that's what I want to be. So let's follow him better this week and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.